you shall go out with joy, and then it's immediately followed by jubilato. So it's jubilato is kind of tagged on the end. So it's effectively one song. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll run through you shall go out with joy three times ish because it's one of those that gets quicker and faster and faster and faster, yes, doesn't it? I think. And then we'll just do we we'll go straight into jubilato. So we've got it one, two. Three and Jubilato, yeah. So you've got three rounds of that. Yeah, yep. and we might do Jubilato twice. But, you know, I'll try and stay with it. I'll, Depends what other problems nod. we have in the day. I'll nod. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone will be on their feet by then, isn't Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's good. Some cases 
and, and we pray we'll be walking down safely. If you could begin praying for that, that would be really good. On top of that, we have um, uh, sufficient volunteers. You can never have too many volunteers, uh, but we do have sufficient for us to staff the event. Uh, but if you feel that you would like to come and see and observe and just sit well away, that's fine. If you want to sit and pray for us, that would be absolutely lovely too. Uh, but we just do pray for good health, for safety, uh, but especially the very reason we're doing Christmas Cracked again after years in this church actually we have a bit long tradition of Christmas cracked that there will be a sense of joy and wonder at the incredible goodness of God in sending his son love incarnate Jesus on earth that we'll grow and understand what it is to be human ourselves but in that great awareness that Jesus came to die for sin and rise again to prove our salvation and without that core message, we wouldn't be bothered. So, so please pray that we will have fun, but also there will be a sense of joy and worship in what we do. Thank you. Right, then let us begin our service of worship with a call to worship, which is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 7. I don't think it's actually available in, uh, on the words, so you'll just have to listen to me reading it. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, and then 6 and 7. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess, and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you, and when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you, and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them, and show them no mercy. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous among other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. He chose the fewest of all peoples. And we'll be picking that theme up a little later on. Right, Mr. Mike, <laughs> thank you again for providing us with uh, uh, some uh, guitar music to lead us. We've got a couple of songs coming up then. First of all, let's stand and, if you can, stand and sing with us, shout for joy and sing. Delighted to be here. I didn't know these songs until a couple of days ago. Oh, uh. <laughs> it's all right. God's got my back. It's okay. <laughs> I hope you know them, by the way. Shout for joy and sing your praises to the King. Lift your voice and
gave your life for us. Before we followed you, you sought and brought us home. Therefore, let us um, offer a fair confession. In sinful arrogance and pride, we so often think it's all about us and not about you. Just as men and women have done since Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we too aren't content to bear your image. Instead, we want to take your place. Yet, when we compare ourselves to your son Jesus, compare our character to his, we see who we really are and what we're like on the inside. As you know, we're more embarrassed by what we see than proud of it. Therefore, Father, we are grateful that when you hear our prayers of confession, you extend to us an assurance of pardon. For your scriptures declare that our Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners like us by dying for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteousness, in order to free us from bondage to sin and to bring us to you. Confident in his finished work on the cross and in his resurrection to new life, we are assured that you are willing to forgive all our sins. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay, let's um, perhaps just while we're in prayer uh, say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. I will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day of our daily bread, and give us our trespasses, and we forgive those who trespass against us. And give us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Judges chapter 7 verses 2 to 7. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands, or Israel will boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord then said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues, as a dog laps, from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give you the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. Thank you, Linda. Are you picking up the theme about sure numbers from our first two readings? If not, there's more to come in that at all later. Right. For all age, um, I thought I'd pick up on this business of little notes. Are there enough of us? This is the theme of this morning. Are there enough of us and are we fit for the job? And when I was thinking about that, I thought about, um, I started thinking about what if you're physically disabled? Are you as fit for God's work if you're physically disabled? And in particular, do you watch? Hands up if you watch Strictly Come Dancing. Right. There's a deaf woman, Rose, doing it, isn't she? And apparently, she can feel the big whatever through the floor and how much she hears, but very little. But isn't she doing well? And um, 
I, but if you don't know, I've recently uh, acquired a daughter-in-law, my son got married, and his Jeddah is a professional signer, British Sign Language. I thought, right, what, what about if you were deaf, and I would, what about if we were deaf and could only sign? Now, would God be able to express his love through us? So I'm going to teach you how to do it. <laughs> so I'm going to teach you three little things in sign language. And the first thing is you meet someone and you want their own say good morning. Does anybody sign, by the way, before I make a fool of myself? <laughs> right, correct me if I'm wrong. Good morning. That is British sign. Come on, everybody. Good. And then, so if you're right-handed, you should be signing with your right hand. Uh, so on the shoulder of your right, right shoulder, good. And touch like that to either side. Good. So. And obviously you smile because you're pleased to see them. Okay, so that's your start of the 10. Now, I challenged Jenna with, how, could I say, could you teach me please how to tell you guys how to say God loves you just the way you are. And I realised there are certain limitations, I think, about concepts in sign language. It, I, we couldn't do it, she couldn't do it word for word. I think if you need to go word for word, they can spell every word out, you know, every letter can be signed. So, uh, what she said you can teach them, David, is God loves you as much as everybody else. And this is quite easy. So it's... So two fingers like that, the same. So let's go through our whole script again. Is Still, and we all the world trust and our 
ships across Middleton Keys. Some of them are growing and got leaders, some of them are shrinking, maybe don't have enough figures or whatever. You see the circumstances of every fellowship in town, Father, and we lift them all up to you for your guidance and strengthening and support. We want your uh, kingdom to be proclaimed in Milton Keynes, so we ask you to bless your fellowships. In particular, we pray for ourselves and uh, some fine choice here in this building with us. Will you guide and direct us, strengthen us, Keep us uh, full of your love that we can then share to people around us. May, um, well, may the work of some Pharisees and Spurgeons, preferably together in the future, bring glory to your name. Jesus, glory to you in this place. And uh, just thinking about uh, those of us with particular personal issues. Yes, we do remember Steph and Nick. And no one that don't gaze at all. Will you comfort them? This still must be a sad time for them. We uh, lift up to you this Caroline Heather's sister we've heard about in her foot operation. of the uh, surgeons or whoever's going to treat that. And those of us fighting off serious illness, Alan and Ken, Eric and Hugh. And I'll just pause for a minute now in case you wish to add inquiry. Anybody else you know struggling with illness?
to stargate. This star is apparent again in our um, call to worship. Remember me what, what I read? It was the Lord is going to bring you into this land and uh, he says you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on, on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. God didn't choose a large people. He didn't choose the Egyptians or the Persians or the Greeks. He chose the Israelites. And they were even smaller than these seven peoples I mentioned, the Jebusites and the Hizzites and whatever they all were. And none of them made a mark in history. So they were small, but they were much bigger than Israel. And another example of God's uh, style of seemingly preferring to use people, a few people to achieve his purposes, this that uh, the story that Linda read out for us from Judges chapter 7. Gideon was the judge, which meant the leader of Israel at the time. This is before they had kings. They had what they called judges in charge. Gideon was the judge. The Israelites were being oppressed by the Midianites. And as we heard, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, meaning the hands of those men, or Israel would boast against me. My own, that would be our boast that my own strength would save me. So the men were told that if they were scared, they could go home. And 20,000 took up the offer. 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. So Gideon took the men down to the water and there the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred drank from cupped hands, so they scooped it up and drank out their hands as opposed to sticking their nose straight in the water. So three hundred drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink and were sent home. Whereupon God did indeed deliver a victory, and in a way which did not need an army of 32,000. 300 was plenty for God. And Jesus knew his father's style, and he acknowledged it. In Matthew chapter 9 we read, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. At that time, there was Jesus, his 12 disciples, and a few sort of followers. Was Jesus despondent about there being so few workers? No. Do you remember what he said? What's the next line after? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, Jesus said. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Jesus knew that the Lord of the harvest, God, is perfectly capable of harvesting the results he wants with few workers. So, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Spurgeon is not disqualified from being of potential use to God just because our numbers are lower. Ah, but I hear you say, we're all getting old. We, we won't attract, we won't attract others, go, God won't want to use us. But I tell you, that's not biblical. The Bible tells us of people whom God used for important work, even though they were far from perfect. I'll just draw three of them to your attention. First of all, Moses. 
Exodus chapter 3, is Moses. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labour. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that, and seeing no one. He killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. <coughs> Moses was a murderer. And how did he do in the end? Was God able to use him? What about King David? Here comes a little story from the second book of Samuel in chapter 11. Bathsheba was the beautiful wife of Uriah, a soldier away uh, fighting in a war. David committed adultery with Bathsheba and she became pregnant. Uriah came home on leave. David needed to cover his tracks. He tried to ensure that Uriah would sleep with his wife before returning to the army. But Uriah was an honourable man. Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my lord's men are camped in the open country. How can I go home to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will do no such thing. So David would get desperate. He invited Uriah to a meal and made him drunk. But still Uriah would not go home to sleep with Bathsheba. And that's when David instructed the commander of the army to, when he got back to the front, to put Uriah out in the front where the fighting would be fiercest so that he'd be killed. David was an adulterer and guilty of conspiracy to murder. And how useful will keep God in it? Finally, <laughs> Peter, we've all got a soft spot for him, haven't we? He keeps on making mistakes, this disciple Peter. In John chapter 13, shortly before Jesus was arrested, we read in the Bible, Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And that's exactly what happened. Peter deserted Jesus. So then, how do our shortcomings measure up against Moses the murderer, David the adulterer, and Peter the vain boaster? God used them greatly. If their shortcomings didn't disqualify them in God's eyes from undertaking great work for his purposes, then we can be sure that our, as we call it, excess of maturity uh, doesn't disqualify us. And just a few final thoughts uh, before I close about any feelings of low esteem you might have as Christians. If you uh, look at this issue from God's perspective, there are actually good reasons why he might yet choose to give his kingdom work to us, despite our shortcomings. Firstly, knowing that we have these shortcomings, you know, makes us see our constant need for our Saviour. We can't do it without Jesus. Our shortcomings also guarantee that we have no grounds for boasting. Those soldiers, 32,000 of them, if God had let them win the battle on their own, they could have boasted, Israel is strong, we are mighty, we don't need God. Better, yeah, better to win the battle with 300 and realise that it was solely through God's intervention. And finally, there's what I call the um, relatability thing. If non-believers can see that we, despite our shortcomings, have been forgiven by God and are acceptable for kingdom life and work, then those non-believers will find it easier to accept that they too can be forgiven and can enter the kingdom. So with God on his side, did Gideon need a large number of men to win the battle? No. And how did Moses and David and Peter do in the end? With God working through them, they did just fine. 
let us not doubt that we, though we may be fewer and no longer the spring chicks we once were, God can still use us if he wishes to. Very good. That's enough of that. Um, let's move into uh, it's a, it's a, one of the Sundays when we uh, do communion. So let us now come to the Lord's table. I'm going to move over there. Is anybody coming up to join me? Cup 
You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. First the bread then. This, he said, is my body, which is given for you. Please eat the bread individually as you receive it, acknowledging that Jesus died for you. same way as we've heard that Jesus took the wine uh, after supper and said this is a, co- is a new covenant sealed by my blood whenever you drink it do this in memory of me we retain our cups and drink together acknowledging that Jesus died for our church or his church blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. So, brothers and sisters, you have shared in the Lord's Supper. You are his and he is yours. We are his and he is ours. Hallelujah. Thank you.
Jacob is our fortress. 